I'm Laura Phoenix Power, and this is the Indigo Phoenix Podcast, where we celebrate empowered channels of self-expression. Our interviews are inspired from the verses within the book Indigo. Joining us on this episode is Shanti Das, music industry veteran, author, philanthropist, and founder of Silence the Shame. Shanti and I discuss mental health awareness, shame, and the value of self-care and self-acceptance. Welcome, Shanti. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing today? Good. 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 Well, I am so inspired by the work that you're doing. And one of the reasons I reached out to you is that um, when I think of supporting other people and accepting myself and supporting myself and, and the mental health and the mental well-being that goes into all of that, I think about self-acceptance and that a lot of shame and pain that people experience from trauma or self-doubt or other messaging that may be internal or external messaging as well, that it's very tethered to how we see ourselves and how we define our worth. And sometimes that can stop us from reaching out for help. Sometimes the shame gets louder than, than the self love. I'm so drawn to the work you've done ever since meeting you and hearing about your story and this incredible organization that you've founded and the message you're spreading. Tell us about that journey and how you're here and the work you're doing. Sure. And thank you, Laura, for your kind words. I really appreciate it. So I started, um, gosh, Silence Shame, which is an idea in 2015. I was doing a radio interview um, on V103 in Atlanta. And we were talking about mental health, substance abuse, and a lot of different things. And I was kind of lending my knowledge, if you will, around the subject matter because my father took his own life when I was a baby. And so I said, yeah, you know, I don't know why people are so afraid to talk. You know, we maybe we should just silence the shame. And it was like a little light went off in my head. And I thought, you know, maybe that was God's way of saying, here, here here's a gift for you. And so I, I didn't really think much of it then. A couple weeks later, I, it, it just started replaying back in my head. And I was like, sounds a shame, sounds a shame. Like, this is a really catchy title. And I come from a marketing background. I used to be head of marketing um, for a bunch of record companies and work with a lot of uh, entertainers in the past. And so I put my marketing hat on and I said, I got to figure out what to do with this. And later that year, um, well, not even later that year, that year I was dealing with a lot of my own anxiety and depression and I was kind of masking it and hiding it from a lot of friends and family and in September of 2015 I contemplated taking my own life and so that was probably about six or seven months later after I had come up with the hashtag at the time silence and shame and so once I got the help that I needed I started opening up and sharing more um, and I know we're going to talk a lot about self-acceptance today and self-care. And once I accepted the fact that I needed to get help, that was definitely a pivotal moment in my life and career. And I felt like for the first time that I was actually okay with not being okay. Um, cause I had been so embarrassed and ashamed about it for so long. And, you know, fast forward and in 2016, I kind of, started sharing a little bit more on social media. And then um, I ended up meeting some like-minded folks who either had shared experiences or they had family members with lived experiences um, with mental, challenge, mental health challenges. 
or mental illness. And so I kind of formed this committee and I did a soft launch in May of 2016 because May is uh, National Mental Health Awareness Month. And I got a couple of folks like Nick Cannon and some other celebrities that I had known from my past career and they tweeted about it and, you know, put it on Instagram. And then the next year in 2017, uh, I said, you know, let's make our own day. So I made May 5th National Silence to Shame Day. I just kind of came up with this day. And 90 million impressions later, I thought I would get a few people to post about it. And between the influencers, the celebrities, and the everyday people and their reach on social media, from an analytical perspective, we had over 90 million impressions. And that's when I knew that this was about to be a real movement, particularly in communities of color. And we've been doing the work ever since. I'm covered and literally covered in chills. I'm thinking about just stepping out and taking the initiative and putting something out there for people to to feel and to respond to and to know that there's a place to go with this. What are some of the things that people can do besides sharing on social media to bring awareness to their communities about Silence the Shame? Um, I think one of the things is just, you know, talking about it at the dinner table, right? Like it, it shouldn't be something that is so taboo that we can't even talk about in our own homes. You know, it's one thing to kind of share on social media because I look at that, it could be twofold. It could be a sign of strength or for some, it could be a sign of weak or some may perceive it rather to be a sign of strength or a sign of weakness. But, you know, I think we need to get back to some of the like fundamental values that we had in the home and especially in communities of color. And the dinner table was like a really sacred time and space and place for us, um, especially Sunday dinner. And so, you know, how great would it be if we could put our cell phones and smartphones away and have these authentic conversations around mental wealth? And I don't care where you call it. You can call it feelings, thoughts, mental health, mental wellness, brain health, brain power, brain wealth. But we should be able to have these uh, uncomfortable conversations within our own homes initially. And that's how you really, I think, Laura, start to help break down and erase stigma. Because it's one thing to kind of put it out there and, you know, we may have these pseudo names online and people don't really know it's us talking, which that's fine. You know, I'm not here to judge anybody. But to be able to authentically approach it with a mother or father, your parents, a spouse, a sibling, um, you know, is really powerful. And I've seen instances where family members, you know, they will have that one particular family member who has more of a severe mental illness. And that person is dismissed, whether it's the holidays or whether it's Mm -hmm. any day of the week. You know, I've seen siblings that are afraid to talk to another sibling or cousin or relative. And and I do know that mental illness can be really tricky and it's hard to understand. That's why I think, you know, um, you know, coming to one of our virtual webinars, um, the community conversations that we do, or going on to our YouTube page under Silence of Shame TV to just look at some of the past community conversations. It can teach you ways about learning how to talk to family members. We also offer, well, this was pre-COVID, but we were offering free mental health first aid training, which is kind of like taking a CPR course. It's a really detailed eight-hour course and teaches you all about the various diagnoses, how to, um, you know, identify it within yourself or a family member, how to, you know, refer that family member for help. Um, and get through the process. Um, Also, we offer um, suicide prevention training, which is called QPR training. And you can go to Q 
qprinstitute.com and learn more about it. That's actually only an hour and a half. And we just recently did a training and we trained about 15 people. We're hoping to do another training this month or either in the month of November. Um, So that's really great. So you can learn how to recognize those signs and symptoms and get someone help if they're having serious suicidal ideation. Um, So just getting educated, Laura, I think first and foremost, and then having, you know, the courage to share within your own, you know, safe spaces and circles at home that you create or in your, you know, smaller communities or, you know, your sororities or fraternities, you know, not laughing at someone who you feel like may be quote unquote off or weird or that C word that I hate crazy, right? We use that word a lot. It's not, um, so, you know, sometimes it's not um, used in referring to someone with mental illness, but sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. And so we have to understand also that words matter, especially when you're talking about mental health and mental illness. And if someone is already feeling weak and down and they need help, you know, if you're going to be downing them or speaking negatively or, you know, derogatory, you know, messaging against them, you think they're going to get help? You know, if you're being a bully, you know, I've seen family members that are bullies, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen men that tell their sons, nothing's wrong with you, just man up. You know, and our, our young men, in particular our Black men and women, you know, sometimes we may be acting out, right? Because mental health is essentially our behavioral health. And that's why oftentimes mental illness is hard to diagnose. It's not like you can just go and get some blood work done and tell if you're depressed or if you're anxious. Um, Now, there are some mental illnesses, right, where you can do some genetic work and find out if you're predisposed to some chemical imbalances or something um, from a family gene perspective. But, you know, oftentimes it's, it's based on our behavior pattern, right, and how long those behavior patterns persist. And so that's why we need to get educated so we can know how to identify those and how, you know, we should not be so judgmental. Right. And we should come up from a place of empathy as opposed to sympathy, because I'll tell you, I never want anybody to feel sorry for me. I just wanted a little bit of empathy. So you just try to put yourself in my shoes to kind of figure out what I was going through. And people would sometimes say to me, well, your dad took his own life when you were a baby. You know, you're in your late 40s. How could that still affect you? How could it not? That's an wow. extremely traumatic experience that we, you know, growing up in African-American culture, never dealt with. And so, you know, I just, I don't get angry. You know, I, I just, I pray for folks that they get educated um, and that, you know, if the day comes where they ever have to deal with it within themselves or a family member, that they can be strong enough to get the help they need. I know that was probably a mouthful, but... No, it's a heartful and I love it. And I really appreciate everything you shared. And I definitely want to um, add some of these links for people to access. And of course, anybody can go to silenceshame.com for access to all of these incredible resources. Uh, something you just said about family members and the the tendency for people to kind of kick each other when they're down or, you know, come down on somebody for being in their feelings. Talking about a couple of verses um, from my book, Indigo, that you identified that really resonated with you. And um, in one of them, we talk about blooming in tranquil moments. I bloom in tranquil moments. It's not a weakness to pause. And with our society, I find through experience and observation that um, we're always so quick to say, I say we, the collective, right? We're always so quick to say to somebody, uh, brush it off, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, chin up, man up, 
bootstraps up, you know, we don't give people time to grieve, Mm -hmm. whether they've lost a person, they've lost a career, they've lost uh, a sense of safety in the world. And that's a big one. Um, as As a trauma survivor myself, I can say that, you know, losing that sense of safety in the world, you, you heal it and you work on that. And there are situations that happen that will trigger you. We don't get to choose our triggers. And this is the piece for me with mental well-being and health and just overall well-being is that we don't get to choose our triggers. So if in a moment a person's in a situation where they're feeling a deep, physical, emotional, energetic reminder of a trauma experienced very long ago, There's no time stamp on that. There's no expiration date on when you're not supposed to feel it deeply or when, you know, there's no cutoff for that. But our society really wants to say there is. Like that comment someone's saying to you, like that was 40 years ago. I think those things add to the trauma. They re-traumatize. Now you're traumatizing, now a person who's experiencing trauma and loss is now getting some shame heaped onto that and judgment because it's something they're still processing. Thinking about that, can you tell, talk about recognizing and acknowledging our process in that? You know, how does taking time to pause impact people's overall well-being and mental and emotional well-being? So I think that it's funny, this pandemic has caused the whole world to pause, right? It's like hitting that automatic pause button, whether we want it to stop or not. People aren't able to work. Some some people aren't able to work like they you know, have been. Um, people's weddings are on pause. Their livelihoods, the family time is on pause. Travel, international travel. You know, we've had to stop, right, and put the pause button on our life. And I think it's caused a lot of people to take a hard look at their lives, whether they wanted to or not, especially from a mental and spiritual perspective. But I think pausing is one of the best things that you could ever do. You know, for me, I used to work in the entertainment industry and, you know, self-care and wellness and, and, and taking pauses in your life. That was not celebrated or encouraged. You know, I worked often 20 hour days and I was still at the top of my game, you know, in a senior level position at a lot of really, you know, large, reputable record companies. But it was work, 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 go, 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 go. And the more you work, the more you were celebrated. And so, you know, it was interesting because I often found myself taking these unintentional pauses um, and I couldn't really figure out why and what was going on. I would just be in my office and I would tell my assistant, you know, I'm not taking any more calls today. Don't don't call me unless it's my boss. And I would just kind of sit there kind of lost. And unfortunately, I wasn't in therapy at the time. I didn't, you know, truly understand the benefit of therapy. And so what I just say to people is you got to learn to one, give yourself more grace for the times that you need to pause in your life. Mm -hmm. Don't look at it like, you know, the world is passing you by or you're going to miss this deal or you're going to miss, you know, that opportunity. You know, sometimes and not to impose my spirituality, but I believe that sometimes God wants us and needs us to pause. Right. To take a look at things differently, both personally and professionally. You know, right now I am in the process of still grieving the loss of my sister. You talked about grief in the question. And so many of us through the pandemic have lost loved ones, colleagues, friends, family members, 
or it's that symbolic loss, right? The loss of physical connectivity, um, the loss of jobs, um, the loss of loved ones, the loss of social you know, interaction, if you will, the way we are used to doing it. And so it's a lot of grief and loss going on right now. And I, for one, am still, you know, again, I am almost a year and a half in on losing my sister. And sometimes it seems like just yesterday. And I find myself pausing. And I am embracing those pauses now, Laura. When I feel that tsunami, if you will, of grief coming on. And it happens. I mean, I was literally, this was a week or two ago, I'm driving three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, sun shining, you know, and something just hit me at that moment. And I just, I miss my sister so much. I was crying almost uncontrollably. And I just pulled over and I got it out. I said, you know what? I just, maybe I just needed a good crack. So I think been thinking about her all that week. And sometimes I try to push myself and keep going and I'll just say a prayer. But sometimes you got to release. You have to be able to cleanse yourself um, of those, you know, beautiful imperfections, if you will. Right. And things that we experience. And so I embrace the pause now. I encourage it. Um, I am a big proponent of giving yourself and others around you grace to experience what they're going through. Um, and I'm reading this really cool book. Um, it's funny, again, with the pandemic, with being in my house so much now, I'm looking at everything and, you know, whether it's something I brought back from a foreign country and it's a relic that I'm enjoying and spending time with, or I'm looking at all the books that I have on my bookshelf. So I found this book. It's called Pause. It's Making Time to Walk with God by an author named Carrie Connolly. And one of the things that I love that she talked about in the beginning was just she challenged us. And I can't remember what page it was on, but she challenged us to, you know, take time to pause in our life. And it's something that's really cool that I've been doing lately is I use my smartphone and I set a reminder at 12 p.m. and at 4 p.m. And I set church bells because I miss going to a physical church. I've been watching church service on Sundays, but I actually miss the fellowship and being able to connect with other people. Um, So I have church bells. And so every day at 12 and four, but I pause and I stop and I pray either for some of my own intentions. But what I've been doing more so is praying for the intentions of friends and family members or it could be a stranger. You know, so I'm praying, you know, for things that I know some friends may be going through or something they're experiencing. And it's just been really beautiful just to, you know, I pray in the morning, I pray in the evening, but to pray in the middle of the day for someone else in particular has been really positive in my life. And so it's made me feel better. Um, And again, it's made me realize the importance of being vulnerable, um, being transparent and being open to embracing all of those things that we may not understand around a wellness perspective. That is really all very true and incredible. And I love the, um, the gift of praying for other people and holding space for one another that way and how that shifts things. Even if they don't know where it's coming from, you are manifesting a positive shift for them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a surprise gift. It's like getting a, you know, a card in the mail that you didn't yeah. expect <laughs> or a handwritten thank you note you know, in yeah. cursive. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're just like, whoa, somebody's right. writing in cursive. <laughs> That's funny. I tell you that speaking of that, it's like, it's funny how when you don't, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. And now when I have to sign checks, I'm like, I 
can't even write my own name in cursive. Because <laughs> I just don't have to do it anymore. It's hilarious. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like a secret code language one day, you know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only the children of Gen X parents will right. know, know what it is, you know, barely. They'll barely know it. You know, thinking of you in the car and, and having that moment with your sister and pulling over and taking the space for that. Um you know, I've, I've had a lot of uh, road shoulder cries myself. And like I said, you don't get to choose when the reminders come in, when the missing of somebody or a time um, in your life comes in. I mean, it could be, you know, a, a, a television commercial that just reminds you of a meal you had with somebody that, you're oh, yeah. you know, I mean, so we are taught very early on to um, push through. And, you know, that's not always the way because as we press down the things that hurt us, you know, there's, we're, we're pressing down the things that, that are good for us as well. Mm-hmm. It's not a selective thing. If you're shutting out parts of yourself, you're shutting out more than you probably mean to. You're shutting out your ability to have self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the consistent messages of Silence the Shame has been about, um, you know, self-compassion and acknowledging our pain and, and, um, having value for our voice and who we are and that it's worthy of help. And so um, touching back on the verse of being summoned to this place that I claim my right to exist. Um, and if I can read just that, that last part of it, because this was one of the verses that you identified. Sometimes I look like you, mostly though I'm anything but you. I am everything like myself, gratefully so. My gifts, darkness, doubts, and power were summoned to this place, a unique position expressly mine, I claim my right to exist. Can you talk a little bit about that process of how we have to sit and honor all of those aspects of ourselves and that self-acceptance message that is so strong with Silence the Shame? Gosh, what do I want to start? Um, and again, I, I love this verse, so kudos to you. It's a really great book. And I hope Thank that you. we'll pick it up. Um, it really made me kind of sit and reflect, starting at the beginning um, of the verse where you say, sometimes I look like you. That just um, immediately resonated with me because I think from all my travels globally, as well as domestically, I feel like we are more alike than not. And, you know, we share so many similarities and, you know, we all wake up and brush our teeth the same way. You know, we all have to eat, uh, and try to live our best life and exercise and take care of ourselves and and put nutritious food in our bodies or else we're all susceptible to the same physical, you know, ailments as well as mental ailments. We always, we may not always think like that around mental health, right? And then the second line where it says, mostly though I'm anything but you. And that's where I think the part about self-acceptance and being able to be um, happy with the skin you're in, if you will. I think Dove did a campaign back in the day, loving the skin that you're in. I remember that. And so, you know, it took a long time for me to get comfortable in my skin, um, knowing that my dad had taken his own life and being comfortable to even talk about it and express it because I remember Laura being a young girl and, you know, people would ask, where was my dad? And I would say, oh, you know, he died. But when they would ask how he passed away, I was afraid to say he killed himself. And I would say, oh, he, he got shot or he had cancer. And come to find out as an adult, my, when my sister and I were sharing about this just last year, maybe on my podcast before she passed away, she said she would do the same thing. 
but she would not tell her friends initially how our father had taken his own life. You know, anything but you, right? Feeling like, you know, a lot of my issues that I've gone through, you know, I wish so different. How could you understand, right? But then that's where the vulnerability comes in, where once you start talking talking to others and opening up and sharing more and being okay with what your life is, right? Self-accepting um, that, you know, I had a different childhood. You know, it was my mother raising three kids. And again, a father who had completed suicide was, was tough for us. It was embarrassing. Um, it was shameful to me at times before I really learned about mental health and mental illness. And then once I got older, um, I felt like one of my gifts was I am a people person and, you know, God blessed me with an incredible career in the entertainment industry. But once I started experiencing a lot of my anxiety and depression, you know, I had to take a look at that darkness, right? I had to really start coming to grips again, self-accepting who I was. And it was my sister who convinced me to get help, right? And to stop doubting myself in those moments, thinking something was necessarily wrong with me. It's no different than someone contracts um, a physical disease like cancer or heart disease. You know, you're going to go to the doctor, you're going to get that checked out. And so now we're seeing people that when something's wrong with the mind, that we're finally understanding that that is an illness too. And that we're being okay with getting help. And so I had to realize that I had to accept, you know, again, all of the dark parts of my life and the things that I was experiencing, but that it shouldn't really change who I am as a person and how I feel about myself. And so going from a career, like I went from intern to executive vice president in the music industry. Pretty, And I say it in the most humble way, but it was a pretty big deal for, you know, having that type of career. So when I left the music industry in 2010 and moved back home and started doing more community work, but I left because I was experiencing, you know, some anxiety, some, you know, depression. I don't know if it was clinical depression at the time, but I knew that I didn't feel right. And I knew that I hadn't dealt with my dad's uh, suicide either. And then I kind of talked myself into a downward spiral. So I went through a lot of ups and downs. um, And I thought that it was and then when I started doing more work in community, in the community and then mental health, I thought it was going to be two different legacies. And it was my men, one of my mentees that told me, he was like, it's not two different legacies. You're still Shanti Das. It's one. God gave you these great gifts, right? Even through the darkness and the doubts and everything you were going through. And now he's giving you this power, this superpower, if you will, which was silence to shame. And so I had to learn to embrace the gifts, the darkness, the doubts and the power right? Because it was a full circle moment for me. And it was those gifts that he had given me in music, which helped catapult the messaging of Silence to Shame, because I went back and reached back into some of those same contacts and people in music and said, hey, I have this platform and initiative now on mental wellness. Will you help me tell the story and share the story, if you will? And so now to see where we are, to see how God has been using me, using the organization through my pain, through the vulnerability, through the transparency, it is a complete gift. Because guess what, Laura? We're saving lives. And I get text messages. I get emails from people that are saying, oh, my God. Like, just the other day, I relaunched um, my book, which I'll tell you a little bit about, Silencing My Shame. And we had a a campaign going on social media. And one young lady posted, and it almost brought me to tears. And she said, you don't know how much you and Silence to Shame helped my daughter and I. Mm. Their daughter was going through a really difficult time. But I get a lot of those messages. And 
I mean, this was, you know, pre-COVID, but I can remember being in Target last year. And an older African-American woman, probably in her, um, not old, but more mature, let me say that, <laughs> woman came around the corner. And oftentimes I will wear the Silence of Shame branded T-shirts. And she said, oh, my God, you're the Silence of Shame lady. <laughs> I said, <laughs> yes, ma'am, I am. And she was just so kind and had so many wonderful things to say and just thanked me for what the organization was doing in the community. And that's when I realized, like, girl, claim your right to exist. Claim this superpower. Accept what God has given you, which is truly a ministry to be able to help people. And so finally, I felt like, okay, God, like, I get it. Because I did struggle for a while because I said, you know, I don't want to be the poster child for mental health, you know, because sometimes I would bring it up to my colleagues and, they would say, oh, that's good. But they would kind of brush it off and keep going. But to now see, you know, my friends who work in music, who are vice presidents, presidents, chairmen, and they're coming to me when something is wrong or they're hiring me, uh, even on the side, because I speak um, on the side from Silence to Shame, but they're hiring me and saying, hey, I, I need you. And you know, a large record company just brought me in to do the keynote for their entire company. And, and I, I I knew at least 10 or 11 people on that call who were my colleagues in the business. And it is truly humbling and um, empowering at the same time that I have embraced the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, the darkness, the doubts, and realized that like it really was God's way of blessing me. And so not to say that someone has to become an advocate in this space, but you got to learn to embrace the good in the bad. You have to be okay with not being okay. You have to empower yourself and know that, you know, every day isn't always going to be a dark day. And every morning that you may wake up that you're sad, it doesn't mean that you're depressed. But if that sadness persists, then you need to be okay with talking to someone and getting help. And you need to know that therapy is not just for when something is wrong. That therapy can be um, almost a superpower for yourself for having that, you know, confidence and that vulnerability just to talk to someone from an objective perspective and learn more about your brain. Your brain is the largest, largest organ in your body. So why not learn more about it? We're always trying to learn more about the physical and we really need to look at it like integrative care. It's, it's mind, body, and soul. It's not one or the other. I say all that rather to say that it has been um, humbling and it has been a complete blessing to embrace the darkness and to embrace um my flaws, if you will. And I still have moments where I am, I feel like, you know, I'm teetering on another depression slipping in, but this time I'm better equipped. And I know that if I need to take my antidepressants again, or, you know, I'm in the process of of seeing a new therapist, you know, that type of thing, like I'm accepting it and I'm okay with it. And so you have to be able to recognize your thoughts and feelings, acknowledge them and process through them is what I say. That's wonderful advice. And we have a diversity within ourselves of emotions, strengths, energy that we can give to ourselves, to other people. And, you know, what you said about therapy as well, that often people will wait and, you know, and I've done this in in cycles in my life and you get to a place where you're like, I just like, I need to, I need to find someone, but then don't take that step to find a therapist because in those moments when we are in anguish, it almost feels exhausting to think about what it would take to find someone, 
get them up to speed on your life. And when you don't have a trusting relationship with a person like that, there's not a resource for you. It's great to start with a therapist when things aren't necessarily turbulent and find the right person for you. Not one size fits all in any way, shape or form, you know, oh, finding someone. That's right. Yeah. So people and, sometimes it's like dating. You got to keep, got to go on a few dates until you yeah. find the right one or, I mean, or any other doctor for that matter. Right. Cause you, sometimes we may go to, you know, a specialist and, it's not really the right fit or they don't have the right bedside manner or do you, a regular general practitioner. You, you keep going till you find the right doctor for your needs. You do. Yeah. I mean, and it's easy to get stuck and complacent with, you know, uh, as the saying is, you know, the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know, like, you know, it's, oh, well, I, I already know what to expect when I go there. I know what the fees are. I know what the timeline runs like. We're hesitant to make changes Recently, I switched doctors for one of my children. We went to a different practice for an orthopedic issue. And this doctor came in, introduced herself to me, and immediately ran the rest of this, the, the meeting with my child. And I thought, now that's somebody who understands pediatric care. Because not only is she talking to the patient <laughs> and not around the patient, but she's also engaging in a practice that's teaching my child how to advocate for herself and how to answer for herself. And all of that plays into mental health and mental well-being because self-advocacy is part of it. Mm -hmm. Understanding and being in tune with um, our injuries, our wounds, our feelings, and how to rehabilitate our, our hearts or our ankles. It's like you say, it's, it's all integrated. It's all part of the whole package that we are. How can we help ourselves in times of self-doubt when we question our worth and are feeling too ashamed to ask for health, help? And that's a great Freudian slip. We are too ashamed to ask for health. <laughs> but what I meant to say is help, right? So in those moments when we are struggling, what is something that is, you know, I love that you're setting timers on your phone, right? Like that reminds you to take pause and take a moment to pray for other people, pray for yourself, be in a state of wellness and self-care and gratitude. So what would you say to somebody who may be um, in a place of need and um, resisting asking for help? Where can they go with that? So first and foremost, um, for someone that is in need of help, but that either, either is afraid or resisting, um, you gotta be okay with not being okay. That goes back into the last question of self self acceptance, because nobody wants to feel like something is wrong with them, and especially when it comes to the mind, because it's still so much that we don't know, right, around mental health and wellness. Um, but you have to be able to accept the fact that something's wrong, and to be able to ask for help. It's just like if you know if you're young and you're you got a test coming up or you have that one course that you're taking in college and you've been struggling a little bit during the semester, you got to be able to ask for help. That's what tutors are for, right? And so almost looking at therapists or your doctor like a tutor to come in and help. So, you know, just being vulnerable and being okay with that. Again, that, that goes back to us helping to erase stigma in our communities, within our own families, we have to be okay with asking for help. And I think the first place is, I like to ask people like, who's in your support circle? I think support circles are extremely important, especially now with what's going on with the pandemic, because we may not be able to get to one another um, in person, but 
certainly we can reach out to them, you know, through social media or text or a phone call or something. And so if something is going wrong, and especially if you live by yourself, you got to be okay with reaching out to one or two people. You know, who is that person in your life? Is it a parent or spouse or a best friend or former coach or auntie or uncle, somebody, but you got to be okay with having those conversations with someone because the worst thing you could do is to isolate yourself and isolation gets to be really tricky. And um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a real issue for us if we stay by ourselves and we are struggling Cause then what if you do start hallucinating or having those voices or you feel like, like even for me, when I was having my own suicidal ideation, you know, I had counted up all the pills in my cabinet that night and I really was seriously contemplating taking those pills, Laura. And so I just had to get out of the house. I prayed and I don't know, God granted me, you know, mercy and grace that night and got me out of the house. And I started driving around Atlanta and then lo and behold, I ran into a, a friend of mine, but she lives on the other side of town. And I was like, what are the odds this late at night that you're out at the store? It was so random. But that was now I look back. That was all God. Yeah. Place that person in my path. And she immediately convinced me to call my sister. And then my sister convinced me to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So the first thing is just being open, to, being open to talking to somebody, you know, mustering up enough strength and courage. Um, so sometimes you have to pray for that that peace and that strength in your life um, that gives you the will and the willpower rather that you need um, to get the help and support that you need. And then knowing what resources are there, you know, like NAMI.org, Mental Health America, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK, or going to our website, silenceashamed.com under the resources. And we have a ton of different wonderful organizations that can help with doing the work. Or if you need to find a therapist, knowing that there are websites that make it easier for you in that process, um, like therapyforblackgirls.com, therapyforblackmen.org, or just from a general perspective, psychologytoday.com or betterhelp.com, no matter what your ethnic background is or nationality. Um, but just educating yourself, empowering yourself, and accepting and embracing, you know, the vulnerability Thank you for sharing all of those resources. Would you share the title of your book and the book that you're reading right now? So um, I just relaunched my book. It's called silencingmyshame.com. I'm uh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> sorry. I just relaunched my book. It's called Silencing My Shame. And it's, it's just a few, you know, short, like 13 or 14 chapters. And it's my, um, you know, journey of emotional health and wellness from when my dad took his own life until my sister passing away last year. And you can get that at www.shantidoth.biz. And we do have an ebook available on Amazon. Right now, I'm reading a book called Pause. Making Time to Walk with God by Carrie Connolly. And you can follow me at ShantiDoss404 on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but not as much. And you can follow our organization at Silence of Shame on Instagram. And I also started an IG Live talk show um, during the pandemic called Yeah Wellness. And that's actually the, my new company brand name now for me speaking on the side. But I interview a lot of celebrities around mental health and wellness. And so you can find some of those past episodes under Yeah Wellness on YouTube. And then we also, Silence to Shame has a podcast. Um, we started in 2017. It's over 35 episodes. 
And you can listen to past episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. So please consider subscribing to our podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story and all the incredible resources on this interview. And before we go, I have one musical question for you. I have music on all the time and Mm -hmm. often it will shift a mood for me and it'll energize or it'll calm. It depends on what I need, you know, what I, what I, what I pull up on my phone or through the house. Um, So is there a favorite song lyric or song for you personally that offers a powerful shift in a moment for you that's positive, um, a shift towards self-acceptance? Because what you said is so important and I want to repeat it. It helps you to be okay with not being okay. And when you're not okay, know that that's a temporary place. That's, that's a moment. That's, sometimes it's a word on a page in the chapter of, of the book of your life. <laughs> sometimes it's a chapter. It's a time and a place. It's a moment. It doesn't define you as a whole person. Um, and so sometimes having tools, Chanti, you've mentioned many incredible tools and resources. Um, but in the immediate sense, you know, if you wanted to pull up a song on your car or on your run, What's a favorite song of yours that just shifts you into a place of feeling great and joy and happy and, and self-love? So um, I'm going to tell you what my theme song is. And um, prior to COVID, I was starting to have people play it, <laughs> you know, before I came out. But it's an old school song. I'm going to show my age. But there's an artist from back in the day called D-Train, the letter D-Train. It's called Keep On. And everything about it I love because it's about keeping on. And one of the, the lyrics that stand out, it says, with the strength of your mind, you can be set free. You know the question from your past. Search deep inside and you will see time has come at last. Keep on, keep on, keep on keeping on. And just with everything that I've experienced and endured now that, you know, people really celebrated and knew about my entertainment industry career, but now that I've been talking about everything that I've experienced, you know, all the ups and downs, you know, I had to just keep on and to keep going. And so I've learned to embrace that. Um, Even when I wake up now in 2020 and I don't have a good day or I don't have a good morning, you know, I'm better equipped um, and that I do know that I have to keep going and doing this work. And again, I'm not exaggerating. Every day or every other day, somebody is texting me about a family member, their son, their daughter, and asking questions about how to help. And I have to keep going because I got to keep helping people. And so check out that song, D-Train. It's called Keep On. And then one that I recently like is from Marshmello and Demi Lovato, the pop singer Demi Lovato. And the lyric says, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay when you're down and you feel ashamed. It's okay not to be okay. So those are the two songs. Awesome. I'm going to add those to my playlist. I can't wait. Um, and I'm kind of like, I can't believe, I, I, I vaguely remember the name D-Train. I don't, I can't think of the song, but I'm yeah, pretty sure. People didn't really know him per se as much as an artist, but he had familiar songs. So when you hear a couple of his tracks, you'll remember them from back in the day. Yeah, I'm sure I will. My music is back in the day music. (laughs) 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 So that's where I like to like reside with my, my music choices. Yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure talking with you. And um, I'm so excited to share your voice on this podcast and um, everybody check out 
all of the incredible resources that Shanti Das has shared today, particularly Silence the Shame and take good care of yourself. Be good to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Indigo Phoenix podcast with our guest Shanti Das. We appreciate Shanti sharing tools and mental health support resources, especially her message of the power of taking time to pause. For more resources, follow Shanti at silenceTheShame.com on Instagram, where you can find links to numerous resources for support for yourself or for loved ones. And remember, today is a great day to celebrate and empower your self-expression. Your story has infinite value.